Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and I'm joining you for the second week in a row to talk all about the college admissions and financial aid process. Now, we've got a terrific show lined up for you with lots of your favorite guests, and we look forward to getting started. But first, because it's the new year and because we're always inclined to do a little housekeeping on the first days of the new year, at least I am, I thought I'd share some ways that you can be in touch with us. Now, if you're new to the show, you might not know about our blog which you can find on the web at blog.getintocollege.com. We share at least two or three posts a week on that space covering everything from practical financial aid advice to more holistic encouragement through this process. Bookmark, subscribe, especially if this is the year that you'll be applying to school. You you definitely appreciate this content uh, as you make your way through your application. I also want to invite you to send us a question about anything that touches this process. You can do so at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Your questions help us to shape segments for future shows, and we frequently host segments where we answer your questions. So please ask away. Finally, we are always looking to expand our audience. And one of the best ways for people to find us is for our current listeners to leave a positive review on iTunes. So if you have a moment and are feeling generous, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. I've heard that on other podcasts, so I just decided to borrow it and use it for this one. Okay, I think that does it for the blatant self-promotion this week. Uh, And now we can turn our attention to our guests. First up today is a former admission officer at like 10,000 different colleges all in the New York City area, Tova Tolman. (laughs) Hey, Tova. Why, hello there, Ian. It's amazing that I've worked at so many schools, yet I'm only 23 years old. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, I think we're both embellishing a little bit today, but that's fine. I hear the weather down in Savannah is like 180 degrees. Is that right? Uh, On the scale you used for the number of schools I've worked at, that is exactly (laughs) correct. Right on point. Well, it's kind of interesting that we're starting the show by embellishing a little bit and maybe overclaiming uh, our background because we want to talk a little bit about the role of societies in the college application process and not like the stonemasons uh, or any of those other kind of secret societies. But these are more sort of open societies. And this is a pretty open ended topic for us to discuss. So why don't we let people in on what we're actually talking about when we say high school societies or national societies as it pertains to this process of applying to college? That sounds like fun. I uh, think you're probably talking about the famous ones, right? Um, Yeah. Well, the one, yeah, sure. Not the ones that only exist at one school, although we can come back to that a little bit later, but the ones that people may have heard about. And we don't have to drop names here. We might, but we don't have to. We'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what are what are we talking about here when we talk about societies? Are there um, um, examples that are sort of in the mainstream that we can discuss? I mean, the, the first one that comes to mind for me is the National Honor Society. Um, but then there are other sort of organizations that students might be invited to be a part of at some point in their high school career. What what triggers that kind of invitation um, in many cases? I think the ones that 
you're talking about that we can we can name names that uh, things like National Honor Society or maybe the Triumph National Music Honor Society or National Hispanic Society, all of those that are often right. at the high school are an opportunity for a student who is somewhat high achieving. The the schools typically will set the parameters for whatever the minimum grade expectation is, uh, with often some requirement of volunteer hours of service, some commitment to service, um, and some element of character with some commitment to whatever the name or title of this particular honor society is. So, for mm-hmm. example, that Triumph National Music one, they have that love of music, they perform, they play, whatever it is to do with the role of music. Usually they're invited them by the school. Uh, While it is a school-based participation, it is still a national organization that they are sort of a charter or chapter of. So there are some components that have sort of access to the resources that might come with that national organization. But as a school honor uh, with some specified criteria to be a part of it. Right, right. And that's that's exactly what the National Honor Society was when I was in high school. I think it, it still tends to be the case. That's that's the most ubiquitous. And it's one that you can really see from coast to coast. One of my friends from grad school just posted on Instagram that her son, who is a junior in high school, was admitted and selected for the National Honor Society. She's very proud of that. So it's something that you know, Not even bad. from Oregon to Florida um, exists uh, just nationwide. Um, now, what typically are the expectations of membership? You talked a little bit about some sort of um, uh, requirement. And I'm kind of curious about the difference between just being a member and adding that to your college applications. You know, a lot of students will say, I'm a member of the National Honor Society. That should help my college applications, right? Um, Versus Hmm. actual action or activity that you might have an opportunity to take on as a result of that organization. I think that's where a lot of the misconception comes into play here. So I'm going to blow your mind, but uh, my high school didn't have a chapter of National Honor Society. I was not in the National Honor Society and somehow yet still, I got into college and a a pretty selective one at that. So I think a lot of uh, students or families sometimes overestimate the importance of of simply listing this membership as part of their list of activities without any actual real leadership or participation uh, by simply being a member. So we're often looking for indications that you've made an impact, that you've led. You hear us talk about that all the time on this podcast. Uh, So simply being a member isn't necessarily going to give you a leg up in the process. Uh, unless perhaps you're a leading member uh, or a real contributor, often it's another indication of things we're already seeing elsewhere in your application. Yes. So if one of the criteria to be involved is that your grades have to be strong, we already know that from your transcript. If one of the criteria to be involved is that you have to have X number of volunteer hours, well, we already see that from your other volunteer commitments in your list of activities. Right. There's uh, the, I, I forget what it is. It's like the presidential award for service or something along those lines. Mm. And mm-hmm. you see students that say, hey, I got this president's volunteer service award. And you look at the criteria for that and the criteria include a certain number of hours of service, which is great. But right. if you're doing a good job conveying your service activities on your activities list in the application, 
that's already there. The President's Service Award is redundant. It's basically an outside party saying, we recognize that you did this number of hours of service. And it's not particularly meaningful to uh, a college selection committee. Um, and I think the same the same thing can be true for something like the National Honor Society. You know, being a part of that is, mm-hmm. as you say, is sort of a designation that says you've got great grades and you've got, um, you know, an excellent uh, set of test scores. But you know what? We already know that because we have the rest of that stuff available. So it's really about what you do uh, through that um, through that organization that colleges are really interested in. Now, Tova, there are some outside societies and organizations that are able to send out invitations to students. They might invite them to apply for something. It might be at a national level. They usually come with sort of fancy names and make it seem like something that would be really attractive for students to join. Um, But they also occasionally come with membership fees as well. How do you assess sort of whether it's worthwhile to pay to join an organization um, or to to even consider joining one that, that doesn't come with a cost? Yeah, that's a great question. And we get that question a lot uh, when those national invitations go out. We'll get one day, 20 questions on our help desk just with this very question. Hey, I just got this invitation for this exclusive honor. Uh, Should should my child join? Should we pay the fee? Or or better, is this a scam? We get that question a lot. Are these scams or are they legitimate? I think for the most part, it's usually fair to say, well, they're not scams in the sense that they're going to take your money and run, but there is a question of how much are you really getting for that fee, and and certainly be weary of any that seem exorbitantly priced. Uh, The the things to look out for that are are on the the pro list of why you might want to join such a society is often there are uh, access and opportunities for specific exclusive scholarships to members for that group. Now, uh, that, that might be overstating the likelihood of, of what you're going to get. Sometimes it's a list of you know, $500 scholarships, $1,000 scholarships, and it's a huge pool of applicants still, even within that exclusive society. Uh, but, the, but you might have access to greater scholarships. Uh, that's usually the biggest selling point that I've seen is, again, mm-hmm. simply listing this membership on your application isn't really going to uh, offer you all that much of a leg up, if at any, in the application process. But sometimes there are other resources that come along that you can look out for. Maybe they have leadership uh, opportunities through it, workshops or seminars. Maybe there's some sort of cohort or interaction of networking through alumni or other fellow members of that society. Usually it's a one-time fee for life, and you're part of that society for all, forever. You could think of um, a really good one that's well-known and respected at the collegiate level would be Phi Beta Kappa. That's one everyone recognizes. You actually have to pay to be part of that, and it does really mean something. I would be very weary of ones that are for-profit as opposed to non-profit, you know, something to look into. Uh, again, what are the scholarship fees and, or right. sorry, membership fees? And I think a really good simple litmus test to apply is, would I still want to join this society if the colleges would never know about it? Is this something I still think is valuable that I'm going to get something out of? Because simply right. listing it on your application is not going to mean anything to the colleges uh, for, the, you know, for the vast majority of the time. So if this is still something that you see value in, uh, regardless of the application process for colleges, then 
definitely something to look into further and pursue. Uh, but I'd be weary of, of anything that looks fishy, uh, and certainly uh, anything with an owner's fee that maybe then could perhaps be better spent on perhaps your college application fees or right. on something exciting. Yeah, I think um, one of the first questions you can ask when you get an invitation like this is, how did they get my information? You know, how do they have mm-hmm. my name? How do they know my my grades or my testing? And, you know, it could be with some of these uh, organizations that, like colleges, they buy lists of names and contact information based on scoring on things like the PSAT or the SAT. And that's something that organizations will, will sell that information um, for students because students will indicate hey, I'm willing to be contacted by organizations with scholarship opportunities and by colleges. So that's something that you're opening yourself up for. And you want to be aware of that. And, you know, if it's something as simple as that, then it's probably true that thousands and thousands of other students are getting that same invitation, right? Something that's much more specialized, that is targeted. It can be a little bit more unique. Did you say tens of thousands? Maybe hundreds oh, of yeah. thousands. Well, for one of them, probably one of the most popular ones, um, anyone with above an 1150 on the PSAT is going to be invited. Uh, right. there's, it's a whole list of criteria, but uh, any one of the criteria that is on their list would qualify you. So anyone with above an 1150 PSAT, anyone with above a 3.5 GPA, the high school can nominate them, anyone right. with a four or higher on any AP exam, um, so anyone meeting any of those criteria with additional criteria in international baccalaureate scores or IGCSE scores, those are all lists. And this one particular, uh, probably one of the most popular ones that we hear, but we get questions a lot, uh, would be getting an invitation to, to be a part of that, of that right. one. Right. And that's one that, you know, as admissions officers, former admission officers and even current admission officers will see this name sort of pop up and they'll be aware of what the entrance criteria are and how students become members. And that's another thing to keep in mind is that these are things that we talk about in college admission offices. Um, You know, our colleague who worked at Stanford said there are very, very few organizations that just by virtue of being a member of them catch the intention of admission officers. There are a small handful that that of experiences that do qualify in that space. But for the most part, it's about what you are able to do. And, you know, what I would often say is, well, do you need to pay to be able to do some kind of service? Do you need to pay to be able to search for scholarships? No, there are some wonderful resources out there that are free, put out by the College Board or by scholarships.com. And so you don't need to pay to have that kind of access. And I think the thing that probably... uh, frustrates me the most as someone in this this position helping to work with with families is this belief that they're getting something special by paying for this membership uh, and a lot of underinformed families can feel like I got to do this because I need to advantage my kid in this process and so what we're saying is save your money this isn't something that colleges are going to pay extra attention to you can instead use that time to go out and volunteer and give back to your community in a meaningful way right on yeah, cool. Um, I, I have a, a story uh, of, I, I once had a teacher that was very mad at me. She was the sponsor of the National Junior Honor Society in my eighth grade. And uh, as I was graduating that program, I told a bunch of seventh graders, you don't want to join this. We don't do anything. We just have these lunch meetings once a month and that's it. <laughs> And this teacher got really mad because she heard from these kids that I told them, don't join the society. It doesn't actually do anything. Um, and she called my parents and said, he's telling kids that they shouldn't join the National Junior Honor Society. And my dad's response was, so? 
<laughs> which I really appreciate. I didn't get in. I thought I was going to be in huge trouble and I wasn't. But it was that early sort of, I, you know, at Tova, I was destined to be a college admission officer because early on, I was was saying, say, this it's is not being a member that matters. It's what you do with it that really counts. True. Right. So. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> like we said, I still somehow got into college not being a member of any of, of these societies. Right. I don't know how you did that. Um, it's just a superior know. intellect and incredible talent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's And that's the nicest thing I'll say to Tova in 2019. Um, that's all the time Three we days have in. for today. Uh, are you satisfied with the quality of this, this segment, Tova? I think it was good. I think we got our point across. All right. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing you uh, up in New York in a couple of weeks um, at uh, the Mountain House. Same here. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to take a deep breath and determine what comes next after you've submitted your application. So don't go anywhere. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. We're getting warmed up here in the new year and uh, enjoying finding our stride again for 2019. Now, one of my favorite things about the early weeks of January is that almost all of my students have finished their college applications. It's awesome. They're sending me notes that their apps are in, and in many cases, they're already starting to hear back from schools. It's a very exciting time for them, and in many ways, is a very relaxing time for me. I don't mind it at all. Now, um, while I feel really confident and comfortable sitting back and waiting to hear from colleges in the spring, I also find that students can get a little anxious about radio silence, especially if they're applying to regular decision schools. They might have submitted by January 1st. They're not going to hear back until mid to late March. So joining me to talk about what comes next is our old friend, Kara Courtois. Kara, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Ian. I'm not that old. I know old friend means like (laughs) you've been friends for a long time. and Not like my friend who's old, my old friend, you know. all about word order. It's just it's just me trying to sort of claim uh, claim you as a friend, um, right? It, 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 and I've obviously failed, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about what comes next for students. Um, you know, we've got. I think, especially, I I feel like in the last three four years, there's been more and more schools that are offering early action. And so students are actually starting to hear back from schools earlier than they used to five and definitely 10, 15 years ago. Um, So that changes things a little bit in this process. It used to be that you'd apply and then you'd hear all at once in spring and just have this deluge of decisions sort of following, falling down on you. Um, So how do students sort of think about what comes next at this point in the process, given that they have maybe heard from a couple of schools, maybe many more they haven't heard from, where should their mind be uh, right now as they're beginning that second semester of their final final year of, of high school? Yeah. I mean, I think practically speaking, and just, I've always put my conversation with students in sort of two buckets. One is practically, you do want to make sure you're checking your email and you do want to you know, log back into your, say, Common App portal or coalition. Just make sure everything, you know, you're, all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed, meaning payments have gone through and maybe the colleges have downloaded your application. Mm-hmm. Um, that's practically speaking. And then shifting gears to, okay, you've made sure all those pieces have gone out, transcripts, teacher recommendations. And that usually is in a two-week window between the time they've submitted. So that's one of the things I emphasize is in this age of instant gratification, (laughs) know that it could be up to two weeks until that application is downloaded. But that doesn't mean hit send, walk away, and think that everything went out perfectly. So vigilance, you know, over those two to three weeks mixed with a little bit of patience. And then once you um, feel confident in that, shifting yeah, over to be a senior. Right. I wanted to, before you get into that, I wanted I wanted mm-hmm. to add that if you do miss something or you forget to press a button or some form is not included, any sort of mistakes that you may have made, and these things do happen, um, it's really best to catch it early uh, and to reach out to colleges because at this point they are backed up a little bit. Um, they're not necessarily mm-hmm. in the process of reading the applications that were submitted in late December because they're still tracking those. They're still coming back from their holiday breaks, et cetera. So 
it's a really good idea to take some time just on the organizational end to check your application status, see if everything has been submitted, check those boxes. Um, you don't want to, mm-hmm. in February, check it and just find that you're missing something because by then they've sort of hit their process and they're getting through things and, and it might be a little bit late. Uh, so look yeah. at it now. You've got some time. Just confirm everything. Get yourself a, mm-hmm. a spreadsheet or a checklist uh, and that mm-hmm. will allow you then, Kara, to focus on being a senior, right, which is, mm-hmm. which is where you are headed next. Yeah, and before I go there, I guess I also wanted to say for those students who maybe had submitted to an early action and maybe been deferred, it's also like step two would be a month of January is a good time, you know, before mid-year grades or mid-year exams are out to write a letter uh, addressing a deferral if that's allowed or updating an institution where you've been deferred from. So that's probably a separate podcast altogether, but wanted to say that that's sort of the second thing there right. um, that I'd often encourage a student if they hadn't, you know, been accepted right away. Um, but then next to that is the really fun stuff is, you know, just encouraging a student to do one thing for the first time possibly in senior year where the, the burden of applications, you know, is complete and now they can actually be a senior and just focus in on, probably a very tough course load to begin with, but they've been juggling sort of two full-time jobs on some level um, and can really, you know, be present to their senior year and their courses and hopefully develop some new friendships even. Now, you're not going from two full-time jobs to zero. You are going from two to one. So even though you've got this application thing behind you, I think that some students will really let off the gas. There's that thing called senioritis (laughs) that I think is still a concept that students talk about. Um, We don't want to see that because that can create some problems for you later on down the road. Never mind the fact that, you know, it's something that you would have to notify colleges about if your grades really slip, but you also are losing momentum as you move into your academic life the following fall. So you want to keep your commitments to school sort of where they have been in the past. Um, But, but I think without sort of a, a, something looming over you. You just get to sort of take it day by day and not worry so much about that, you know, um, that deadline that's approaching uh, in the way that the application does. Um, And you mentioned friendships, Kara. I think that that's something that like, you know, when we talk about college admission, we almost never talk about those kinds of personal relationships that come up, but, mm-hmm. you know, we can always count on you to, to talk a little bit about those. What, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you mean when you're, when you're sort of telling students to reconnect with their peers at this point? Well, I just always found, so I taught seniors in high school, you know, before even getting into the admissions world and just always found that the maturity level, it's part of leading yourself into the getting ready to transition is not necessarily putting one foot out the door, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. I don't think that's a great way to be. And I think it's, you know, being present where you are while you're starting to prepare for this next stage of life. And I just often have found that a lot of students, because of the just increased maturity, even the maturity that comes from actually doing the reflective piece of the application, you know, we have such a lens on that that I love. That's one of my favorite parts of it is to see a student go from, you know, maybe, you know, a, a less mature junior who didn't know what they wanted to coming into the space of this, wow, I get to choose potentially some of the items that might be where I, you know, of the parts yeah. of my next stage of life for the first time. And 
So a lot of maturity comes with that, I think, quite naturally. And, you know, it doesn't come as rapidly for everybody, but it's sort of in this sweet spot between January to May where, yes, a student, you know, will always get the five-minute lecture of, you know, don't take your foot off the pedal. But allow yourself to just ease into the fact that, you know, you might not have been able to pay attention to some, you know, friendships that could have blossomed because you were so focused on, you know, keeping, you know, dotting all your I's and T's with regard to your activities and, you know, just everything else. But also with the maturity, students are just better students a lot of times. Like homework that might have seemed super daunting for AP physics in the beginning of the year, they know who their teacher is. They know who, you know, what's required. So maybe it takes less time to get it done, which allows them more time to, you know, dig into their friendships a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of the most memorable things for me from the spring of my senior year was we started to get into Halo land parties with with my friends and was able to connect the friends that I had on the baseball team with the friends that I had in my academic classes and and have them over for sleepovers. And it was just it was awesome because I deepened my friendships with that group really remarkably, like compared to where I had been previously and was able to connect them across different groups. That was awesome. And it happened only because I was like, well, I'm going to be leaving for college soon and I want to reconnect with everyone. And and that was a really valuable, memorable aspect of my high school career that that I don't think I would have had if I just sort of was looking on to the next thing instead of focusing on where I was. Um, I wanted to ask you, what was that? I couldn't agree more. I just, everything you just said, I could not agree more and couldn't emphasize that enough, you know, for other seniors who might be thinking, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. You know, like, let's just, especially if they didn't like high school. Yeah. So it's a time, parents, when video games maybe are good, or at least in my case, they were a good thing because they brought us together a little the bit. We were all in the same house yeah. playing together. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you sent a great email out for our, um, on, our, on our internal team listserv, um, and you're talking about this sort of human connection that students can make in high school, but there's also this important aspect of the human connection playing a bigger role in the college selection process now, uh, especially for students that maybe have gotten into some early action schools and are considering them against the possibilities that might arrive in regular decision. Um, And you had talked a little bit about really personalizing this in a way that helped them to see more of what a school might offer. Can you talk a little bit about how students research process changes from being sort of remote to being more personal uh, at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, they're about to make the biggest decision. I mean, a family's possibly their biggest financial decision with regard to education specifically, as well as just this huge life change that it just requires more time than I think many of us give it. You know, that I'm always a little bit surprised sometimes when a student, you know, decides in junior year, oh, I'm definitely applying ED you know, somewhere. And, you know, I always couch that with, okay, great, you know, just listening for a while, because I think there's a huge commitment that comes with signing a contract. But if it's a non-binding, you know, early action, regular decision, specifically early action or rolling where they've heard from schools, you know, before they hear from the regular decision schools at the end of March, they have three months potentially, that, yeah, we want them, as we're saying, you know, be present where they are. At the same time, maybe their plan, you know, maybe their February break plans are a little bit open 
and they might have time to connect personally with one or two of the schools. What I'm recommending is not to try to get to 12 schools now, (laughs) which you should never have applied to 12 early action to begin with. But, you know, if there's one or two that maybe you didn't know as much about, even if you hadn't visited initially, um, you don't necessarily have to go in person, but it could be a good time to say, all right, shoes on the other foot. I've been admitted. What can the school show me and connect me so that I know whether to keep it on my list or perhaps, you know, I've been looking through the wrong lens of what they're ranked as and not necessarily um, in the light of what can they offer me and how can I take advantage. So really encouraging students to, you know, find email addresses and and connect with the different departments of interest to the student um, on the campus so that they can personalize the process. And, you know, our experience in admissions, mine certainly at Barnard was, I loved talking to students about, you know, whether you've been admitted or you're still discerning, just really how can, what are the services we have on this campus and who Mm -hmm. can I direct you towards? Mm -hmm. Um, Because human beings are on the end of the line and and that's what they're there for, you know, is to serve you once you're there. So how can you get to know those services better before you decide in that? I, you know, I've mentioned this, I think, on the on the show before, but there sort of is this uh, switching of seats as you go through this process where at first the admission officers are trying to convince students to apply. Then students are trying to convince, convince admission officers to accept them. And then, again, admission officers and institutions are trying to convince students that they've admitted to enroll. And so it's really great as a student to be in that decider's chair where you have an opportunity now to make the choice. And I, I, like you, I really enjoyed talking with admitted students and helping them to learn more about the school. Um, I felt that I could, just the way that I talked to them about it was at a different level than when they were prospective uh-huh. students because they were asking more interesting questions and they were getting more serious about it uh-huh. as a possibility. So um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a great opportunity to make use of email, of online forums, but also if you can talk to people uh, over the phone or even in person, that, that can also just be a, a really great way to get a sense of a place and, and its fitness for you as a student. Yeah, and especially current students, I guess I wanted to put a plug in there yeah. for that, not just through admissions, but through particular departments. You can always ask. The worst thing you're able to be told is no, <laughs> you know, right. but if you were to ask, excuse me, you know, I'm considering your honors program, I've just been admitted is there a current honor student that I could maybe speak with by email, you know, and connect with to better know their experience about why they chose that school and that honors program and what they're getting out of it. And I think one of the reasons I love when students go that next level is as we're preparing them each step of the way to go and fly the coop of their own home by asking these questions now, they're going to be better as first-year students on their future campus to advocate for themselves ask, you know, to know, oh, I can walk in to the registrar if I have a question because something didn't go through processing my classes, you know, and just being able to get comfortable with that where many, many students are not comfortable with that. So it's, you know, it's slowly giving them the driver's seat a little bit more, uh, especially as a parent. Yeah, and it's huge for everything that comes later, too, you know, asking people about job placements and what the work culture is like and what the balance is. I mean, people ask interesting questions and useful questions if they are practiced at this stuff uh, from earlier on in their lives, and that helps them to make more informed and better decisions. So. 
you know, we always, I, I think when we talk about this and, you know, we get into this cycle of admission, we always sort of look at the application as leading to an outcome of getting into a school and then that's where you go and it's on to the next group of kids. But there really is an iterative process of, you know, sort of learning about yourself and developing these skills that you can reuse again and again in different scenarios. Uh, and I think that that's really helpful uh, for students to be able to think about um, as they're considering these options. Is there anything else, Kara, that, that you think students ought to be paying attention to? We've covered some of the administrative side. There was a mention of reaching out to schools if you've been deferred in the early round. And of course, the more holistic sense of how to get ready for leaving your hometown or just deepening your relationships. Um, is there anything else that students should be thinking about at this point um, in this process? Uh... <laughs> That's a great question. And I would say, practically speaking, again, it's scholarship time, you know, um, and that's not my yeah. wheelhouse at all, but it is certainly, I'll never forget uh, senior year of high school applying for just absurd, you know, scholarships that our school had advertised, but I thought, why not? Let me just throw my hat in the ring. I've got a couple of, you know, the ideas, and I've already written an essay that I could utilize, so let's go for it. And Get, you know, marching up at a scholarship ceremony and getting some very random scholarships that people and <laughs> my classmates would, you know, say to me afterwards, especially the person I shared a locker with saying, please don't tell my mom that I never applied for that scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> I never got in and it was $5,000 a year. Oh and my like, gosh. Please don't tell my mom. You know, I, it was, uh, I'll never forget it. You know, and it, all it was was handing in you know, some paperwork, which today, of course, would be online. But, you know, a lot of it's, it's not saying, you know, send a, a dart everywhere and expect it to hit, but right. that, you know, you definitely can be part of, you know, especially if your family is hopefully, you know, expecting you to be part of the payment process in whatever facet that takes place for a certain family, that it's almost like it could be a mini part-time job to, to turn your attention to scholarships. Yeah, absolutely. A separate episode, and, and- I know. Well, no, that's a great uh, transition to our final segment in, in finance where we're going to talk about tax breaks. But but I can tell you that it's probably a lot easier for a student to go out and get a, a $5,000 a year scholarship than to find a $5,000 a year tax break. I mean, there are going to be some things there and, and Lori's <laughs> going to help us figure that out when we come back. But um, I, I think that if students can do their part, it's certainly going to help the the parents as well. Uh, Kara, thanks for, for coming on the show. Uh, last minute pinch hitter today. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, I always enjoy talking talking to you. Me too. Have a great day, Ian. Thanks. You too. And again, folks, when we come back, we're talking about tax breaks for paying for college. So don't go away. We know you're excited. We'll see you after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, before we get into the finance segment for the day, I'd like to set our school spotlight on a tiny liberal arts college in Southern California called Claremont McKenna College, or CMC. Now, CMC accomplishes what few liberal arts colleges even attempt. By offering a liberal arts education that specializes in economics and political science, CMC prepares students to enter careers in business, government, and other leadership professions. That's why you'll find unique majors like economics and engineering, environment, economics and politics, and science management. Even faculty research interests embrace this notion of responsible citizenship. Approximately 75% of students conduct research with faculty on topics as diverse as human rights, entrepreneurship, and political philosophy and freedom. Every Monday through Thursday, guest speakers enlighten students through talks or performances at the Marion Minor Cook Athenium. This past fall, students heard from George Will, Rebecca Erbelding, and Sean Webster. 45% of CMC's 1,300 undergraduates study abroad, while nearly one-third of students graduate with a dual or double major. CMC even coordinates sponsored internships and experiences, making it that much easier for first- and second-year students to land funded 4- to 12-week summer internships. Uh, When I went and visited, a student who took me around on a tour said that CMC students learn for the sake of doing. It's a very sort of hands-on kind of place where the liberal arts intersects with business. Now, here's an admissions tip for you. 
on-campus interviews are available for juniors beginning May 1st, and you can schedule them online. Of course, while interviews at CMC are available starting May 1st, taxes are due starting April 15th, and that might be the worst segue to a new topic I've ever made on this show. Now, it's all right because Lori Peltier, one of our stellar finance experts, is here to help me look better. Hey, Lori, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Ian. Happy to be here. I appreciate it. So we are going to spend some time today talking about tax tax breaks. And this is the first of a two-parter. We've got another part coming next week. Uh, and that has me very excited, but I'm, I'm guessing that these tax breaks will not apply to me as the parent of a six and four-year-old. So uh, who are we speaking to for today's segment as it pertains to tax breaks and, and college? Actually, it, it could pertain to you. So oh, nice. we are talking about tax breaks for both uh, paying for college or repaying student loans, or even when you're saving for college, there can be some tax breaks depending on how you're saving and where you live. Um, So we can go into those details. But um, you're right. As we turn the calendar to 2019, everyone automatically kind of gets that pit in their stomach and says, oh, i got to do my taxes for 2018. If you do have a child in college, uh, it's it's definitely something to take note of that you may be able to get a tax break because you've been paying for college expenses. I see. So that might be the big one. Uh, Now, what types of documentation does a taxpayer need to save if if they're hoping to take advantage of any of the tax breaks that fall under this umbrella? Right. There are um, a couple different documents that they would need to save depending on where they are in the process. And even if you do your own taxes or you have a tax accountant, uh, I would pay attention and start to save these documents. I often find that even if you have someone doing your taxes, they may not have noticed that your 16-year-old is now 18 years old and in college. So make sure if you're going to an accountant, you bring up the topic, I'm paying for college now, or I'm saving for college, or I'm paying back student loans, so that the tax accountant is aware of the tax breaks that you might be able to take advantage of. Or if you are filing your taxes yourself online, most of the programs will prompt you, are you paying for tuition? Are you repaying student loans? So it will start to gather the information that way. But to prove that you're paying for college, um, you need to get what's called a 1098-T. The 1098-T form, it's kind of like a W-2 that you would get from your employer, but this comes from the college, and it goes directly to the student. In the old days, they would mail it to the student, um, but nowadays it's available electronically online. Mm -hmm. Some colleges do a better job than others of notifying the student that the form is available and where to download it from their website. So if, you know, January 15th, January 25th, you haven't seen a document yet, check out the college website, go to their bursars or student account webpage, and search for the student's 1098-T. It's a document that will show how much was paid in tuition and fees during 2018 so that you might be able to get a tax credit or a tax deduction for paying for tuition. The other forms that you might need is if you are... Uh, paying for college with 529 plans, Mm -hmm. you would want to keep track of um, the withdrawals that you're making. So there's not a a specific form or document, but just your actual transactions. How much did you withdraw? When did you withdraw it? What school did it go to? What did it pay for? Just in case down the road the IRS comes back and says, hey, that's a tax-free account that you were pulling from. Can you prove to us that you used it for college expenses? for the dependent who's named as the beneficiary. So you'd want to keep some records of what you 
withdrew from your accounts and, and where the money went and what it paid for. If you're in the process of repaying student loans, whether still a student or now a graduate, and whether they're the parents' loans or the student loans, the loan servicer that you're paying back will issue what's called a 1098E as an elephant. Uh, so it's, again, a form that shows how much interest has been paid on that educational loan during 2018. And this might qualify you for a student loan interest deduction on your taxes, but you would need that proof from the loan servicer that you paid that much in interest. And lastly, if you're like yourself with young children and you're saving for college, Mm -hmm. there are some um, states that will give you a state tax deduction. All the other deductions I previously spoke of are on your federal tax returns, but on your state tax returns, some states do allow you to get a deduction for contributing to a college savings plan like a 529 plan. So you would want to keep records of how much you deposited during the year to try to get a write-off on your state taxes to reduce how much you're paying to the state. Right, and that's why when we moved from California up here to Oregon, we actually opened new 529s in Oregon because of those state tax deductions that we didn't get when we were in California, but we can get here in Oregon. So that's a nice little perk of saving for college. Now, um, are there any timing issues uh, with regard to when you can take this tax break? Is it something that has to be done in that year? Or what do I need to know as I sort of claim that break? The, the hardest thing with the timing is that um, your taxes obviously are a calendar year, January 1st to December 31st. Uh, so it's the tax year. But the school year that you're paying for, you have a fall tuition bill and a spring tuition bill. The spring right. tuition bill might be due in December, or you might be able to pay it in January. So that overlap between December and January for fall, spring uh, can get very confusing. Um, They do allow you to pay ahead for three months. So if you pay your spring bill in December of 2018, as long as it's for tuition charges that are coming up within the next three months of 2019, you can still take the tax break for what you paid in 2018 but you can't take it again in 2019. You know, it's when the money was paid. So you kind of have to be careful of, do you want to get the tax break in 2018 or 2019? Which year do you want to take the tax break? And this happened to me this year. Eventually, some of the tax breaks you can only take for four years, assuming that it's a four-year undergraduate bachelor's degree. They allow you to take it for four years, which we did for my son. And But we took it the first semester of freshman year. So we're now on year five, and he just graduated in June. So we're mm. not going to be able to get year five tax break. This just light bulb went over my head just last week, and I was pretty depressed. But um, So you, you kind of have to plan it out for which years you want to take the break and make sure the payments are made in that tax year. Well, don't don't be too depressed, Lori. He's graduating from college, so there's <laughs> even, the even with that bad news, ever. there's a lot of good news coming with it as well. And you don't have a tuition payment in the fall uh, right. for him, which is great. Now, um, in a lot of these, I mean, with the with respect to the five twenty nines, it's a deduction. There are also tax credits, and and it's always helpful, I think, for people to hear the difference between the credit and the deduction. Right, right. And this is something that I always have to remind myself what the difference is. A tax credit is a dollar-for-dollar reduction in the amount of taxes due. So if without the credit you owed $2,000 and you had a 
$500 tax credit. Now, with that tax credit, you only owe $1,500 in taxes. A tax deduction reduces a percentage of your taxable income, and that's probably what you're getting um, with your Oregon State um, 529 plan, where it lowers your taxable income, hopefully then to put you in a lower tax bracket so you're paying less in taxes. So I think a tax credit is usually larger, it's usually better, but a tax deduction can help as well. Absolutely. Now, what are we talking here? And this is this is something I think everybody's going to ask when it comes to something like a tax break or a scholarship or anything. And you probably get this question a lot. How much are we talking here? What what kind of tax break can I count on through this process? So, it really really varies um, depending on the student, the parents, and and their income and how much they paid and everything. Uh, so there's really no yes or no answer. It's a typical financial answer. It depends. But for example, if you're paying interest on your student loans, you've graduated and you're paying your loans back and you've got interest that you've paid, you can get a student loan interest deduction for up to $2,500 of the interest you paid. So if you paid a lot of interest on your student loan during the year, you can reduce the amount of income that you're reporting to the federal government. But the maximum you can get as a deduction on your income is 2500 So it will make a little bit of a difference. It also depends on how much of your payments that you're making to your lender are going towards the interest. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, the credits that you can get for your um, tuition payments, it varies depending on if the student is a full-time matriculated undergrad and a dependent on your tax return, or if they're just a student taking classes not in a specified program, not matriculated, um, if the student is a graduate student versus an undergrad, um, and then the income of the taxpayer really makes a big difference. So all of these tax credits and tax deductions, the first qualifier is what's your income? The maximum income that I have seen for 2018 is if you're married filing jointly and your income is below 180000 um, If you're close to that or a little over, I would still try, you know, t- check with your accountant, see if you'd qualify. Um, but if your income's in the three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 range, um, you're, you're not going to qualify. Um, but... Um, if you're, you know, 200 or below, it's definitely worth looking into. If you file single, there are different numbers for that. Um, and if you have two kids in college, you can get the credit for, for two kids for one of the credits that's offered, the American Opportunities Tax Credit, which is right. the largest one out there. It's for $2,500. So if you have two children in college and you're paying $4,000 or more out of pocket for each of those kids, you could get a $5,000 tax credit. Now, I mean, that's, I don't see many people qualifying for that much, but that would be like the maximum that you would see. Great. That's, uh, that's good to hear, Lori, and I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all those details with us. I look forward to seeing you in just a couple weeks. All right, Ian. Have a great day. You too. And folks, that's all for today's show. We had a real blast uh, speaking to one another. I hope you enjoyed listening along. Next week, I seed hosting duties back to Beth Heaton, who will take o- talk about value in the college selection process with our new partners, Admit. We'll also jump into part two of our series on tax breaks, so you won't want to miss it. In the meantime, enjoy the start of the year and all the change that it brings. We've got a long time until the next round of applications is submitted, but time moves quickly, so let's enjoy these moments while we can. We'll see you all right here next week. Have a great weekend. 
Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.